very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. I'm Naren, your host. Today, I'm super excited to have Dr. Evelyn Samuel, who is an entrepreneur. She has started several businesses. Of course, two of those are dental practices. She's the owner of Samuel Dental Group. Also, she helps other dentists. And uh, one of her businesses is called the Efficiency Institute. They teach courses on how to start and grow a business. Dr. Samuel, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited uh, to be on and talking to you and your listeners today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're busy and this is the holiday season, so I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us. Um, let me start by talking about what inspired you to get into dentistry. I mean, what made you even decide to become a dentist? You know, that, that's, a, that's an interesting question because I decided to be a dentist at the ripe old age of five years old. And I, there was no other dentist in my family. I, I was the first doctor or dentist in the family. And so I always said it throughout my whole life that that was what I was going to do, is what I was going to be. Um, some, I guess, would call it a calling. Uh, I don't know if I had a really good uh, dental experience when I was a child or not, but it's kind of what I always wanted to do and, and uh, always dreamed of doing. So I set my, my life plan on that course. Well, why did you decide that when you're so young? Is it because you, you just liked, I don't know, I'm just curious, like as a five-year-old, what, what do you think you're thinking? I have no idea. I, I have no idea. And it's funny because uh, as, as I began to grow and as I, you know, matured and got older, I, I, I sometimes wonder, did I choose dentistry or did it choose me? Because there's a certain personality type that we have uh, when we're in dentistry. We're very detail-oriented. Um, and I've always appreciated beauty. I like symmetry and, you know, things to be straight. And I don't know where it came from. I really don't. But it's, it's all I ever wanted to do. And, and so it's uh, one of those dreams that was realized. And, and, you know, I learned really early on that I had the capability to manifest things. So what I mean by that is, like I said, I, I wrote in everything. So my elementary books said I was going to be a dentist. And my high school quotes, I was going to be a dentist. And I would just make up my mind. And that's what I was going to do. And I've kind of always done that throughout life. Right. So when you believe in something that you want, somehow it becomes true for you. It is true. You write it down. And back then, before I knew that, because now there's a lot of, you know, coaches and there's a lot of things out there about having a vision and writing it down. But I've always kind of done that instinctively, but it, it really does make things come to fruition. Right. That's awesome. So um, take us back to your school days and, and um, like, when did you go to school? Where did you go to school? When did you graduate? And then what happened after that? Okay, so um, I went to the University of Alabama School of Dentistry. I am from Alabama. So I, I went to school there. I, I had vowed that I was going to go out of state, but the school was really good. And so I went there and then I graduated from there in 1999. And afterwards, I did a residency in advanced education and general dentistry in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, but it, it was just a, a very unique thing. It was something that I wasn't expecting after dental school and my residency. Um, 
going to dental school, you can get bogged down with a lot of debt. And I got a lot of, uh, accumulated a lot of debt. Um, and after my residency, I, I began to get pretty, um, what's the word, um, just a little bit um, overwhelmed with the debt that comes with becoming a new doctor. So I, I worked in a lot of different places as a uh, contractor. I was in an office on Mondays and Wednesdays with an HMO practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was with a cosmetic dentist on Thursdays and Fridays. I was with a prosthodontist. And in the evenings and weekends, I worked retail. So I was just working all the time. And I began to think, well, what have I done? You know, this was my dream, but um, it, it, it was just something that I wasn't expecting because we don't really get that business aspect in, in dental school. So from, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, so tell us how, so you graduated in 99, correct? Right. Yes. And so you were kind of freelancing for different dentists and uh, were you like with one practice or were you working on multiple practices uh, through that phase? I was in multiple practices. So I was uh, somewhat what you would call locum tenens these days, but I was contracted in several different practices at the same time. Um, and those practices were great. I learned a lot from the clinicians. They were, they were really good. They all had uh, things of value. The prosthodontist, he was an excellent clinician. Uh, the cosmetic office had the ambiance. The HMO practice was just busy, and I knew that I wasn't going to do that um, because I like to talk to people and get to know them and know about their practices. But interesting and interestingly enough, he ran his practice probably better business-wise than any of the other practices. So I picked up those pearls from all of those places. Right. So you're working for others between what year to what year, Doctor? That was, I was, um, I finished my residency, the AGD in 2000. So I did that about two years, maybe a year or two. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to move back to Alabama and work for a group practice because while I love the DC area, I really wanted to be in one place. So I, I worked for a group practice for uh, three years as an associate and I was the only full-time dentist. There were five owners, and they came in and just did a couple of uh, hours, you know, per week in the evenings and weekends. And this allowed me to really run the place as if it was my own. I was developing all their systems. I was their liaison between the doctors and the team members. And I was developing their recall and their collections things. And so I decided to open my own practice, and I opened my practice probably about five years after I got out of dental school. Right. So tell us about what did you learn in the first five years, you know, working for others? Uh, do you want to kind of talk about different things or do you want to, I don't know, you, you decide. Like, how, how, like I want to just reflect on what was going through your mind. Uh, what did you learn? Um, what did you, did you learn that you're not going to do? Just curious. What sure, you sure. Absolutely. So I always say, and, uh, in every situation, you learn two things. You learn what to do and you learn what not to do. And so at that time, I really couldn't appreciate 
you know, how much I was gaining because I worked all the time when I was in DC in those, those five different practices. I mean, I was in a different practice every day and I love dentistry. Um, I'm a hard worker, but it was just, it was insanity because I was working so hard. So I started to kind of resent the profession at that point. But later on, when I developed my practice, I realized that I gained so much uh, so many pearls of wisdom. I could use any product because uh, in all those different places, you're using different products, you're learning different procedures, you're learning different protocols, even if they didn't quite have exact systems, I could look and see, okay, if they did this better, they could have this outcome. So it, it really did help me to, to uh, devise my vision for my practice that I would set up in the future. Uh, and when I set it up, I had every detail planned probably a couple of years before I even opened the doors. I planned every single detail of that practice. That's awesome. Um, so pretty much it allowed you to, and especially that two years where you were literally running a business for somebody else, it really uh, allowed you to kind of figure out how to do things correctly. You know, so first three years or first, uh, yeah, first three years, you're learning from others or two years you're learning from others. And then the next two years you're experimenting what you learned into that practice, the group practice where you were running the show. Yes, pretty much. Yes. And it was probably more along the lines of the first two. And then the, the next three uh, was, ex, you know, running the practice as if it were mine. Right. Right. That was awesome because not too many people get that opportunity to kind of run a practice as if it was their own. Exactly. exactly. That's, uh, that's awesome. And so they had confidence in you and they trusted you enough to say, hey, go do it. And uh, you're the only one who's here full time and focused. So you, it's better you than us. <laughs> yes, I guess if you say it that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, as long as their business is growing, I guess they had nothing to complain about. Right. So they just let you do your thing. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and um, so t tell us about... Um, the first time around when you did this, um, um, where did you focus? Because it was an existing practice, right? You came into in the three years and you were kind of asked to whip it into shape and take it to the next level. So I know you and I talked about systems and the importance of systems. Like, so where did you see the big opportunities? Okay, so yes, the, the, the group practice, I was an associate there. And then I opened my own after being uh, the associate there. And so as I was developing systems, because I tend to, you know, be structured to a fault, I say it's, it's both a curse and a blessing, but I, I, I tend to study everything. So I would develop different systems, whether it was how to answer the phone or um, I pull some of that retail experience in there that the team members needed to greet a person before they walked however many feet into the, the door of the practice. Or we would do uh, workshops on uh, just taking a tour of the office so that we could see how the patients uh, would see uh, the office as if they were coming in. So there were just all these different systems to make the place run smooth because I really love order. So we worked on uh, everything from uh, the morning huddle and how to do uh, positive quotes to set the, the system for the day or having a weekly lunch and learn or having a session at the end of the day where you're just going over what went well in the practice. So it was really, really, really about the patient experience. Uh, 
I, I hired business coaches before I opened the doors of that first practice. Uh, even though I had those great experiences at the other practices and at, as an associate, I, I literally had a business coach before I even opened the doors to my new practice. And that was because I, I knew that I didn't get business in uh, dental school. I went to a wonderful school. They taught us how to be uh, very uh, great clinicians, but we didn't get that business. So I wanted to run my practice not like a, a small dental office, but as a, a, a business. And so I hired business coaches to, to, to help me implement those systems and also develop other systems as well. Right. So then um, you started your practice in 2004-ish, and then you were there till 2012? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, I was in the practice, uh, as you said, from 2004 in uh, Fortunately, by putting all those systems in, into place, that practice really took off. Um, and I was very fortunate to practice in the top uh, one percentile. Um, I had statistics run on that practice um, pretty regularly that compared me to dentists in my state and adjacent states for performance and productivity and, and profitability. So I was very fortunate just to have all those things in place uh, that allowed me to practice like that. And I was there roughly until 2012. I met my um, husband a couple of years before, and uh, he was in a different state. So when we got married, we had to make the decision of what to do with the practice because of what he does. It was really nothing for him in, in the state of Alabama. So we sold that practice. Uh, and his position has relocated us here. And so now I'm in the Virginia metropolitan area and have a practice here in Virginia. Right. So before we go back to that amazing practice you took from nothing or you started from scratch and made it into one of the top, you know, 1%, I want to talk about the new practice you started. I think you started this one year ago, correct, doctor? Yes, that is exactly right. And uh, I was just Googling your business name, Samuel Dental Group, and I already see, you know, five stars on Google and five stars on Facebook and five stars on Yelp and five stars on MapQuest. So of course you do a great job. And, uh, Already people are starting to notice that uh, um, um, you're still a young practice. You don't have too many reviews yet, but still it's all five-star reviews. So knowing what you know, this is your second startup and you've already done it for an year. Uh, I want to kind of understand the journey you took. So literally, you know, from the day you moved to Virginia to the day you decided to start that new practice, that second new practice, what did you do? I just want to kind of start from the beginning and really understand uh, because, you know, unfortunately, uh, most of us don't know what we don't know. But in your case, you already knew what you what you needed to know because you already started a practice. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like, so doing this the second time around, like, what did you how did you go about doing this? How did you go about starting this business? OK, so um, I, I basically took a lot of the same steps that I did the first time. And, and that's because. Um, I before I did it the first time I studied a lot on everything to do and so it's interesting that you asked me how did I go about doing this because I did just literally do a new online course on how to start a dental practice from scratch and that's a question that I get very often from from other dentists so I, I basically always start off with my vision and my vision for this practice is completely different from my vision for the first practice. Um, the first practice was larger, although I always still ran it like a very small practice with a small team. 
um, it was just bigger. And this one, I wanted it to be more of um, a boutique, for lack of better terms, but a smaller practice. And I still wanted to implement those same kinds of uh, small dental practice feel that I did in the first practice. So I started my vision for this one. Uh, the beauty of doing it a second time is that you now know that you don't have to have all the bells and whistles that maybe your supply reps will tell you you need. Um, they're there to help you, but you can do dentistry without the top line chair. You can do it with a nice chair. Um, and I knew those things, so I had a budget and I, I'm a stickler for budgets, so I stuck with the budget. I um, made sure to, uh, there again, just have a vision, write it all down, write how I wanted it to look, how I wanted it to feel, how I wanted it to smell, the types of um, procedures that I wanted to do in this location, which helped me to set everything that I was going to do for the practice. And I always recommend developing a business plan. Uh, a lot of us don't necessarily do that, but it's really good to have. Um, even if you can get your lending from a lending institute without it, I recommend having one because it helps you to hit your projections. It helps you to keep on budget. It helps you with your demographic study uh, and uh, things of that sort. So then I was looking at location. Um, and location, location, location. We always say that the location is very important. So I wanted to make sure that I was in an area that would support the type of practice that I'm having this time. And there again, that's a, a, a practice with uh, larger procedures, but less, I, I don't really do volume. So fewer people with larger procedures. Um, and then I negotiated uh, really, really um, tough with my, um, my, um, my, um, I'm trying to say my, my building, so my landlords. So I negotiated my lease very, very, um, uh, I was pretty direct on negotiating the lease. Uh, so I give tips for how to do that as well in the course on how to negotiate for your, your lease and how to no negotiate with your vendors. Um, because we're, we're really, really good tenants and we're gonna be here long-term if we're opening dental practices. And so it's important for dentists to realize that they, they have somewhat of power if they're starting a new practice uh, with negotiation. So give us a couple of quick tips. Like, you know, what are some of the core things you looked at, doctor? In terms of negotiating? Yes, um, with the landlord. Like, I mean, you, you made a key observation. Um, you are not a typical client. Typically, doctors don't move. Once they get there, they stay there for 10, 20, 30 years. So if I'm a landlord, that's awesome, right? I don't have a headache of having to re-rent that space for a long time. And also you have skin in the game because you have to invest a lot of money to get the practice up and running to a certain level. You have to, you know, upgrade it, buy equipment, et cetera. So they know that you're not going to easily move. So how did you leverage that knowledge that, you know, you are not a typical client, somebody who's a high value client for the landlord to your advantage? Because like you said, a lot of dentists probably don't realize it. So they just, act as if they're just like a regular client, which when they're really not. They're a exactly. VIP client. Exactly. So I, I basically put, um, and, and, and as I say this, I did negotiate, but it's really important to have an attorney to, to view your documents. And there again, a lot of us don't do that. We just kind of read through it. And sometimes there can be some things uh, in small print that would uh, not be 
be so favorable uh, to us as the tenant. But I put a lot of things in there, so much so that my, my uh, attorney was saying, well, that's good that you put that in there, but you're probably not going to get that. And he was even surprised that I got some of the things that I, that I was asking for. But I started off saying that I didn't want the rent to start until um, I was done with uh, my construction process. Um, and then I asked for, uh, I believe I asked for maybe about six months of free rent, which I should, I, I recommend always doing that. Now, you may or may not get the six months, but if you don't ask, you won't get any. So I was able to negotiate some free rent at the end of my uh, construction process. And of course, that helps out a lot. Um, Another thing that I negotiated with uh, them was to um, uh, an allowance for the build-out process. So you should always ask for uh, leasehold improvements. And I got a pretty good um, uh, amount and help with that. So that helped a lot as well. That's awesome. And um, so you, you picked a location, you started building. So any tips in the construction phase? How long did it take? Anything you did or did not do in that phase? Um, yes, I, I recommend putting it in writing. And I do have, I have all this in the course, but I recommend putting it in writing that um, they have somewhat, you, you have in the agreement that they must uh, finish the construction uh, at a certain amount of time, um, and that needs to be in writing on for your part, because let's say, for example, if they tell you they're going to be done, uh, and then it goes a lot longer, you could be on the hook for paying rent um, for your place, and the construction is not done. So I hear horror stories all the time of that happening to dentists, where they don't really complete the project um, in time, uh, and then the, the dentist is on the hook for for the uh, rent, even though they're not in the space. Right, right. And um, so let's keep moving. So you built the thing. How long did it take you to build the, 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 the practice? So this one didn't take as long as the first time. The good thing is I found a space that was previously uh, used as a dental practice. Um, it was, I, I could see the potential in it. It was dated, but it had plumbing already. And uh, those who have built a practice from scratch, like I did the first one, know that plumbing could add an exponential amount to your build-out process. So this one, I came in and I basically um, just gutted the place out uh, and modernized it and put my personality on it. But it was not as much as an investment as the first time because I already had that plumbing in place for a dental office. So if you can find spaces like that, that um, maybe from a commercial realtor that was previously used as a space, that's always a good uh, avenue to take. Um, it still is a startup practice because I didn't purchase any patients or anything like that. But I, I did have the benefit of decreased costs because of that plumbing that was in place. Right. Let's talk about um, what else did you think about you know, besides construction? What about new patients? What about marketing? What about teams? So how did you go through the thought process? Yes. So um, one of the things that I've always done in the past is um, I, I had this thing where you, you kind of put yourself everywhere. And, and that's kind of how I would do the marketing before. Uh, and it worked for me really well. So, of course, joining your chamber, uh, speaking at events, 
Um, I, I started off both here and at the first practice writing a column for one of the local uh, papers on uh, the dental questions that patients may have to submit. Uh, and now the, 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 the trend has gone, of course, to social media. Um, that's probably your expertise, the whole um, digital uh, marketing uh, uh, avenue, but that's really big now. So we're really uh, making connections with patients via social media uh, this time around. Right. Yeah, because people now live on their smartphones and, you know, they pretty much live on Facebook and, you know, all these social media platforms. So you're absolutely right. You know, so how do you connect and engage them? Uh, Yes. So basically I I do segments on Facebook where I pop on and I do Facebook lives where I will ask questions. uh, Patients may ask me questions on the spot and I'll do those segments. And of course, we're doing some direct marketing through Facebook as well. Um, and then we're doing, we're, we, we have the Twitter and the, the uh, Instagram and all those. We're not as into those as much as the, the Facebook Avenue. Uh, and then just giving the patients just a wonderful experience when they come in. There's nothing like uh, word of mouth referrals. And practicing the systems in the office, uh, getting it down to a science where the patients feel welcome and they have an amazing experience. Uh, speaks volume and it opens the doors to word of mouth referrals. Right, right. Um, how many patients do you currently have? I know you've been in practice for a year. Hmm, that's that's uh, how many patients do we currently have? We are a small practice. What I focus on, uh, which we probably talked about in the pre-interview, my first practice was really large, right. but I've always focused on more or less the. Uh, doing larger procedures on fewer patients. So I've never really done uh, volume per se. So we're still getting the new patients in uh, and we're just getting patients in and we'll block off time to do uh, the, the larger procedures. We have some patients that fly in to see us, which is, which is always good. And um, of course, you don't have cosmetic patients every single day, all day. So we do do bread and butter dentistry as well, but we really focus on the experience for the patient. Yeah, so let's talk about this patients who fly in to see you. How did you build that up? Like, what did you do? Yes, interesting. So I had patients in my um, my first practice that would do the same thing, and I was there for many years, so I had a, a large following. Uh, and so people would um, live in, in, in Alabama, and then they would move away, and they would fly in, and they would refer uh, us to other people because of the customer service that they received and because of the, the beautiful dentistry they were getting as well. And so now um, we, do, uh, we do our informationals on Facebook, and so we let patients know that we have those services. And we also have relationships with some of the really nice hotels uh, in the region so they can stay in some of the hotels uh, if they come in town as well. So that just helps us to get more referrals of that sort. Right, right. Um, how do you target that group of customers who are looking for you know, very high quality and very high uh, end customer service? Is there a way you go about doing it? Like I wanna understand the way you think about marketing. And I know you talked about referrals and uh, patients who already like you. Um, just curious, like, how do you think about, you know, a, a niche kind of a practice that 
Is it like you call it a boutique practice? Yes. So um, you can do some amazing things on Facebook these days. And we're using that to to target people. Uh, You can target where people live. You can target their likes. You can target, you know, if it's a female and she has kids within a a certain age, uh, people who are looking up veneers or uh, cosmetic procedures. So we're using that platform to target those people that want those kinds of procedures. Right, right. Very interesting. Now let's go back to the second practice, the first practice you started, doctor. You ran it for eight years and you said you got it to the top 1%. Um, so what did you do in year two through four in that um, or year two, two and three in that first practice? What did you focus on? So basically, I, it, it really was, um, it, it was a couple of things. It, it was the systems, of course, but it was also procedures. So I, I decided when I opened that practice, before I even opened it, that I wanted to run it differently uh, from any of the practices I had been in before. I wanted to take advanced courses. So I trained at LVI and I, I took a lot of courses uh, at the beginning that were a huge investment for me and my team, but so that I could be able to do the type of dentistry that I wanted to do. So it, the focus was on the courses to, to get me um, to be different, not the same as everyone else. And then developing of the systems. I, I cannot say that enough. I, I probably sound like a, a broken record, but it was truly the details of how the practice ran um, all, all of the advisors would always say one thing, whether it's my accountant or financial planner, they would always say, if nothing else, doc, you're efficient. You, you really run this place efficient, efficiently. So something as simple as having a small team uh, where everybody was cross-trained uh, to their uh, capabilities. Of course, an assistant couldn't do hygiene, but uh, the hygienist could do all of the assisting. The front office could do the back, the the back office could present treatment. So I kept a really small team that was uh, completely cross-trained and there was a really good flow in the office and it just helped to keep, number one, my overhead down, but it just really made us very productive. So we were very productive, we were very profitable with a smaller team. And so that that's those early years, we were really focusing on how to get that in place, like never making a patient wait. Uh, and it just stirred those referrals, um, not making people wait. Um, time people walked in the door, they were called back. Um, we were uh, working on things like role playing, which is something that I, I, I really think highly of, where we role played every single thing in the office. And it wasn't to be... It was a script, but not to be scripted, but it was just a way of practicing so that when the game time came and the patients were there, we knew how to handle every scenario Um, and everybody was on the same page. So it it was just really focusing on all of those things that make a practice run really efficiently, uh, make a, a um, a great experience for the patient. So that was in the beginning. And then probably in the mid-mark, as I got to the fourth year, fifth year or so, and I was doing all these courses and I was all over the country with other dentists, 
I would always hear everybody still kind of complain about the same things, what they were dealing with. So it was kind of like this general consensus of, you know, I love dentistry. I'm working so hard. Um, I, I wish my team would do this. And, and, and so at that point, I, I, was, I, I had an efficient practice, but I was still, I felt working really, really hard to make things work properly. So I hired a different coach, my second coach, who was, uh, they were phenomenal, uh, just amazing. And their practice philosophy was more on life. So you wanted to do well, but you wanted to have more of life balance. And so I changed my practice philosophy up a little bit where I actually started taking more vacations, which before I was afraid to do because I thought I'm, I'm in practice by myself. I still have overhead, but I started taking more uh, vacations, taking more time off, um, blocking my schedule in a more efficient way, like block booking, uh, having patient time, and then having time where I did all of my um, administrative time. So during administrative time, there was no patients. During patient time, there was no administrative things. So it was becoming more efficient, taking more time off, and being more productive when we came back into the practice. That's awesome. Right. Um, who's the coach you're referring to, the second coach who has this philosophy around taking time off? Absolutely. I'd be happy to tell you it's Dr. Bill Blatchford, and I have the utmost respect for Dr. Uh, Blatchford, Bill, and Caroline. I, I, I kind of contribute to me finding my my husband finding me because of them. Uh, and, and it's funny because I worked so hard when I met them. And like I said, I'd use business coaches and I was doing well. But you'll find most of the times when people are, are doing well, those are the people who actually hire coaches to do uh, even better and to become more efficient. So I hired them at the, the mid-mark and I, I basically started uh, doing even better but taking time off. And that was just a concept that was foreign to me, uh, was taking off and still being able to do well. Yeah, actually, I know Bill Blatchford. He was yeah. one of my guests. And... <laughs> yeah, I love Bill. I love Bill and Caroline. Yeah. Uh, yes. So those were my, my second coaches that, that I just, and that was why I hired them. Uh, uh, the other business coaches had their, their purpose, and, and I, I got perks and benefits from them because I was, uh, when I started, it was more of the structure that I wanted, and I was really looking for uh, consultants that had structure and systems and made things run smoothly. Uh, and then when I hired Dr. Blatchford and worked with him, I'm actually one of his featured uh, doctors in his second book, I think it is. But it was more or less like, help me to continue to do these wonderful things, but have life balance as well. Right. Yeah, he talks about uh, taking so many days off and stuff. Uh, he's a pretty interesting guy. And uh, we, yes. we both share a coach. We both are part of something called Strategic Coach. And uh, we both go to the same uh, coach. His name is Dan Sullivan. So oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, um, so anyway, so the idea of, you know, taking time off three days and stuff like that, it's Something that I know Dr. Blatchford lives. He actually travels all around the world for yes. months. <laughs> he does. It's so funny because when, 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 you know, when I met up with them, I, they were saying, you, you got to take some time off. And I was just, I was thinking, how, how can I do that? I still, I still have, you know, overhead. I still have a team. I'm responsible for my team's livelihood. And the first time I did it, I just went ahead and pre-blocked the weeks. And I was just, the first week I, I didn't even know what to do with myself. Like, what, what am I doing? 
<laughs> if I have time off, I don't know how to function. So it took me a while to learn how to kind of, how to relax. It just, it took some time to, to figure out how to do that. And it was so true when my team members, because when I was on vacation, my team members were on vacation and they were salaried. Uh, but when we got back, we were just so much more productive. We did so much better um, after taking that time off. That's awesome. And I was curious, what does your husband do? Of course, um, you know, I'm sure he's a very interesting guy. I know you haven't talked about him. <laughs> he is an interesting and amazing guy. He's a rock star. My husband is a, fi- a former uh, fighter pilot, F-15 pilot. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, Air Force Academy grad. He was in uh, the Air Force. Uh, he is now a civilian. He works for the Department of Defense, but he's a senior executive with the Department of Defense which has um, ultimately led us to uh, relocate to the uh, D.C. metropolitan area. Right. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. So you, you follow your passion. He follows his passion. And- exactly. And, and a, a shameless plug, he's also started a foundation. I'm so proud of him. It's called the Raven Flight Foundation, where he is actually teaching youth um, who might not otherwise have the uh, exposure to aviation he's teaching them to fly so he teaches them start walking gliders uh, and then he hopes to progress them through uh, uh, flight and help them to to pursue careers in in aviation oh nice i see him um you know is he the one wearing that green uh like i see some pictures <laughs> Raven Flight Foundation. That's yes. cool. Yes, that's awesome. him probably teaching uh, uh, youth. Yeah, some, yeah. some kids. Yeah, he's yeah. some kids. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's cool. He's smiling and happy, so that's awesome. So yeah. he likes to, you know, create happiness. I guess that's awesome. Yeah. He is truly a brilliant person, the most brilliant person I know. So, so I did. I did well. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what's his name again? His name is James Samuel Jr. All right. I yes. see it. Yeah, he's the founder and president and CEO of uh, the Raven Flight, Flight Foundation.org. That's awesome. Yes, he is. And uh, Raven stands for Respect, Accountability, Veritas, Excellence, and Nobility. That is correct. And Flight stands for Fortitude, Leadership, Integrity, Goodness, Humility, and Teamwork. That's, that's awesome. Yes. That's great. I really enjoy talking to us, uh, talking to you, doctor, today. And I know you have created a course and I know you also help other doctors. So how can people get to know you or learn from you? What's the best way for them to you know, get a hold of you? Yes, absolutely. Um, thanks for letting me talk today. Um, uh, there are several ways and um, avenues to, to reach me. I do have a blog that I run, the Efficiency Institute blog, and it's both on uh, my site and also on Dental Town. Uh, the website is efficiencyinstitute.com. And on this site, I have, like you mentioned, an online course on how to start a dental practice from scratch a step-by-step approach to launching your new dental practice, and it walks the person through step-by-step how to start a practice. There are uh, lessons where they can view them at any time. There's a private Facebook group where we can mastermind together with other dentists who are also starting practices. Uh, And on that site, I also offer workshops where I do my uh, telephone boot camp, where I basically teach dentists how to do systems that will help their practices and they don't have to shut down their doors and fly to me and they also get CE credits for those. 
Uh, the consulting website is www.dreveleynteaguesamuel.com. And I can be reached at info at dreveleynteaguesamuel.com. We'll include all of this in the call notes so people can easily get to you. And um, you, do you prefer them just sending you an email? Is that the best way to get a hold of you? They can send an email or they can call me at 314-669-5958. 314-669-5958. Perfect. I really enjoyed talking to you, Doctor, today, and I really enjoyed even, you know, getting to know you more, and uh, and of course, hearing about, uh, you know, all the people you admire and all the people you work with. Uh, one of the things I notice about, you know, successful people—they're usually a happy people. They like to help others. So, uh, so I, I know you know all of that stuff. So, thanks mm -hmm. a lot for sharing that with others and helping others. Yes, and, and thank you so much for uh, having me on your show, and uh, congratulations to you, and um, uh, kudos to you for doing all the great things you're doing for, for uh, our profession. Thank you very much, Doctor. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist Podcast Show, and you're listening to Dr. Evelyn Samuel, who is the founder of the Efficiency uh, Institute and the Samuel Dental Group and have a wonderful holiday season.